And then there was light. Good morning. It's, uh, it's me. Remember me? I'm that guy that used to play guitar here. And I was all like, Jesus. And I was singing. Remember that? Remember that was me. And then Eddie like overthrew me and said, Wakefield is mine. And he lives here now. And he like lives under the screen and stuff and comes out on Sundays with his little guitar and plays for you. And it's awesome, right? So here I am, I'm back, I'm so glad to be back, but here I am on this side of the instruments because Donnie uh, allowed me the privilege to speak to you this morning, and uh, I'm excited about that because I've had a great time learning from God's Word as I've prepared, and if you are coming to us for the first time, we're jumping into a book called Acts for the whole summer, and we're, we're getting through, and we're not possibly going to get through this whole thing, but we're, uh, we're trying our best to bring some... Um, some contextual things to the the scriptures to see what it has to say to us today in this one particular book. And that is Acts chapter 5 today. And um, if you're with us and you do not have a Bible, we want you to have one of these. Now, the words will be on the screen to the verses, and, and that's all good. But if you do not have a Bible at home, we have Bibles that we want you to take home and not bring back next week. Well, we want you to bring them back if you want to read from them, but we want you to keep them as a gift because we believe at LifePoint, this book, this book is huge. This book is life. This book um, has changed our lives, and it can change yours. And it can, it can bring you into a relationship with God that you can not only have for the first time, but foster every day through his word. So <clears throat> if you don't have one, please take one. And uh, we've got a lot to cover today, a lot of ground to cover. Now, Cindy Whiteside, one of Wakefield's own, brought a message to you last week, and I heard it was awesome, so go Cindy. And I'm so glad she had the passage that she had, and I didn't have it, <sighs> because it's tough. It's a tough one. It's, it's Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. And man, oh man, let me, let me give you just a brief overview of what happened here. Ananias and Sapphira sold a plot of land. And in the early days of the church in Acts, they were selling off possessions and land and things like that. And they were all living here. No one was living here. No one was living here. They said, you know what? It's God's will that we all um, not only share together, but live like one another in, in, a, in a sense of means. So they, they came together, sold their property and Ananias and Sapphira did that, and they came, and the apostles said, is this all, is this the whole prophet, the entire prophet from your land? And while they were stuffing some in their back pocket, they're saying, yep, that's it, that's, that's all, that's all we got, that, that's right there, you know. We, we discounted it for a quick sale, and that's all we have. And uh, that was not true, that was not true, and God, man, I'm so glad Cindy had this, this is a tough passage, God I don't know, what do you say? He, they, their heart stopped beating, and they stopped breathing, and they were dead on the spot. And that was a tough thing uh, for, for uh, Cindy to tackle, why that happened. But it happened in chapter 5. So we're jumping in after that in verse 12, and we've got a long passage to read. So I want you to take your swim caps and put them on, and your goggles. I love when my girls put my, their goggles on like this. All right, and they push them on real tight. And then we're going to dive in. So do your Michael Phelps thing, whatever it takes. Let's jump in. Acts 5.12. If you've got a Bible, open it up there. It's uh, in the New Testament, kind of more toward the back two-thirds of the Bible. It says this in chapter 12. I'm sorry, uh, verse 12, chapter 5. The apostles 
performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. We're going to do a lot of pausing today. Hit pause right there. Very first verse. This is important to know. The apostles met where? At Solomon's colonnade. Now, it's important to know why that's unique because the temple is this huge gathering place of, of religion. Everything goes down there. And the temple is, is, is the center of, of it all. But attached to the temple, as really part of the temple, but kind of like, a, like an awning overhang, is Solomon's colonnade. And it's a long, narrow, um, you know, open air, big columns place where people can gather. But not just anyone can gather there. Well, I take that back. Yes, anyone can gather there. And that's what's unique about this. Because if you're a Jew, you can only enter the temple if you're a Jew. And then you have to be of a certain line to enter into the next place. And you have to be a, cert- you have to be a man to enter into the next place. And so on and so on, all the way into the inner course of the temple. Solomon's colonnade, however, Greek and Jew alike could meet there. So this is a great, this is, this is the first attaboy that Jesus is, is saying to the apostles. They realize and take seriously the fact that the gospel message is for all men. All men. Doesn't matter who you are. The gospel message is for you. So they meet in Solomon's colonnade purposefully, and I think Jesus is pleased with that. Okay? Now, 13 and 14, we arrive at our first Scooby-Doo moment. <laughs> Why Scooby-Doo moment? Because it makes us go, huh? Right? And that's what Scooby-Doo does. Right? Right? So... These verses seem to go like this and make us scratch our head and do the Scooby-Doo. And here's why. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Okay, great. No one else. Why? Nevertheless, more and more, verse 14, men and women believed in the Lord. Now, I've got a couple of theories here. First theory is this. No one else dared join them. It's likely that the rumor of Ananias and Sapphira being was going around. And people were thinking, man, this I got to take this seriously. If I become a Christ follower, man, it's all in. Because if it's not all in, if it's not 100%, if I hold back, look what could happen to me. So there may have been some fear there of not joining these believers. But also the other theory might be this. We have people today, and we're so glad you're here, by the way. We have people today just like they had then who are intrigued by the gospel message. They're just coming to check it out. And if you are here today and that's you, we welcome you and we are so honored that you're here. I mean, let's take it back to when they were alive, miraculous signs being done, people being healed, all of these, you know, people living at a community level that was unheard of then, selling their possessions to live right in the middle. And to everyone who came in, they were saying, you know, we accept you, we love you, here's God's message for you and and will for your life. That's a pretty powerful thing. And so there were people who were just attracted to this. And today you might be sitting here and you're just attracted. You're just interested in a group of people that might meet in a movie theater, who might lay out free donuts and coffee, who might greet you at the door with a smile, who might want you to be in a small group that invites you to a new level of community. If you're here, we welcome you, but we want to say this to you. Um, We hope and pray that you will come to a point where you embrace your own faith and you decide what you're going to do with that. You don't just keep coming week after week without 
making a decision for Christ. That is what we want you to do or making a decision to say, you know what, man, this this is a little too much for me. Now, while we don't want you to walk, if that's how you are feeling, we want you to take initiative for your faith. Okay, that's our hope. Now, that kind of hopefully clarifies. But here's uh, verse 13. But here's 14. More and more people came and, and, and believed. And here's what I think. I think just more and more people got off the fence. They decided, you know what? I am all in. I'm going to believe. And I am going to follow um, these men as they follow God and uh, become a believer. So that's basically the, the first Scooby-Doo moment. We'll get into a couple more. Acts 5.15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. And all of them were healed. Pause real quickly. This is so cool because this is exactly to the letter, to the T almost, what was happening when Christ was around just a few months before. When Jesus Christ was walking the streets, people just gathered out of sheer amazement and curiosity. And now the same power that people were experienced with with Christ to heal is now with the disciples. And so the disciples are going around and even people are hoping that Peter's shadow falls on them to heal. Now, it doesn't say whether it does heal them or not, but that's their hope and faith. So that's a pretty strong faith. And they did the same thing with Jesus. They thought, if I just touch the hem of his garment, if I just touch his clothes, I'm, I'm, I'm believing there's so much power around him that I'll be healed. So again, kind of an attaboy, not so much for the apostles, but really the Holy Spirit here being with the apostles in the same powerful way that, that he was with Jesus. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on to 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Okay, I would love for you to allow me one bad pastor joke for the day, please. All the other jokes are mine, and I'll take full responsibility or credit for them. But today, I want you to know that I don't want to be a Sadducee. I would never want to be a Sadducee. You know why? Because they're always sad, you see. Oh, boy, a bad pastor joke. All right, that's my only one for the day. I, thank you. I deserve that. Boo, bad pastor joke. I got it. All right. Now I want to tell you who the Sadducees were, because actually, to tell you the truth, their name fits them. They were kind of like in a bind all the time. But here's why, especially with the message of Christ. Here's what the Sadducees did. The Sadducees were the watchdogs of the temple sacrificial system. Okay, so their job is to them very, very important because the the sacrificial system is this. God lays out in his laws early in the Bible to the Jewish people what kind of sacrifices they need to bring for what kind of sins that they may have have done, okay? So these are um, examples of people who tell you and make sure you are bringing a duck-billed platypus for cheating on your taxes. I made that up. Don't, don't tell people that duck-billed platypus is in the Bible. It's not, it's not in there. Or, the, or a blue, you got to bring a blue-tongued skink for saying God's name in vain. And again, the word skink isn't in the Bible, but it's an awesome word. I think this week you'll be eating and and say skink to yourself and kind of chuckle inside because it's such a great word. I love words. I love skink. That word is awesome. So, So 
that's not really what, I mean, that's what they were in charge of, is telling you what to bring and all these things. And here's why the gospel message just torqued them so bad. The, The gospel message says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't, this whole system, this whole system of bringing things, Christ died once for all. For, that's true today. Christ died once, his sacrifice was then and for all time. So no more bringing the, um, the different animals for the different sins that you and your family may have committed. And that really torques them off because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with you. You don't need to come to this place every time you want to experience God. God is with you. God is in you. God lives through you. And this really, really torques them off. Okay? So they put them in jail. Uh, verse 18 says they arrested them, which means to literally lay hands on. They, they took them by force and took them to jail. They, they could not meet that day uh, to have their trial. It was too late in the day. Typically, if you're arrested early enough in the day, you go right in front of the, the, the court, the Sanhedrin, and they decide what to do with you. So they threw them in jail. They probably gave them a tin cup, you know, to rattle along the rails, you know, and a harmonica. Probably had a harmonica. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I've seen Andy Griffith's show like twice, so I know exactly what jail is like, and that's exactly what it's like. So there they are, bumming out, just chilling, and here's what happens in verse 19. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. Now, let's press pause again because this really spoke to me when I read this. Um, the apostles, they could have chosen a different way, couldn't they? Um, the angel said to go back to the temple and teach, but he didn't say when. He just said, go to the temple and teach. And so the apostles meaning could have meant well and meaning well, they could have said, you know what? We've been released from prison we got to count ourselves lucky. we got to count the, the privilege of that and go to the mountains and hide out. Because if we aren't alive, how do we share the gospel message? We have got to stay alive. So in their heads, they could have been meeting well and said, you know what, let's get out of here. Let's, let's, let's underground this whole thing and we'll, we'll still preach, we'll still teach. But we've got to do this in a preserving way so that the gospel message, they don't do that. The very next day, the very next day, they're in the temple courts teaching. Here's what that says to me. The the apostles chose well, but they chose God's plan. And God's plan for my life is better than my best plan for my life. What I think is my best plan for my life is a sacrifice in comparison to God's will and plan for my life. And I want to add to that slide this. God's plan for my life is better than my best plan for my life, even if I can rationalize it as being better for me and God. Right? Because a promotion comes along, and I'm not against promotions. Is Donnie here? I'm not against promotions. I'm not against that, but a promotion comes along in work. And you say, well, God, check this out. If I get this promotion and I make this much more, I can give more to the church. Or I can, get, I can be more charitable or I can buy this boat to take the staff, you know, on trips every weekend. I'm just saying, like I said, nothing wrong with promotions. But maybe that's not God's will for you. 
maybe God's looking at it like, you know how much more stressed out you're going to be? You know how much more you're going to be away from your family? You know how much more you're not going to give because the more you have, you tend not to give more? So it's not true in all cases that God would be against that, but I'm using that as an example to say God's plan is better than my best plan, even if I can rationalize it. And the the apostles did no rationalizing. They did no rationalizing. They said the next day we're going out and we're obeying God. Pretty cool. Okay, here we go. This is what Proverbs 16 says about that. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Sometimes hard to decipher God's will. I will admit that. But there's often a way that we rationalize God's will in our life. The apostles did not do that. Here's 21b. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled. There's their Scooby-Doo moment. (gasps) Wondering what would come of this. (laughs) I don't know, right? They had no clue. They were puzzled. Here's why. First, I want to tell you who makes up the Sanhedrin. For the first time, we get to read the word, they gathered together the Sanhedrin, which the text says is the full assembly of the elders of Israel. So you've got the Sadducees, who we already talked about. You've got the high priest, and you have the Pharisees. This makes up the full assembly, and the Pharisees were this. A Pharisee is a rabbi who is distinguished by strict observance of the written Torah. So that the written Torah is the first five uh, books of the Hebrew Scripture, which we have as our Old Testament. And they, that's, that spells out the law, not just the temple law of what to bring for sacrifice, but also about clean and unclean, about what you can do on the Sabbath, about what you can eat, about all of these, all these rules that they have. So the Pharisees are out of a job if this gospel message proceeds and keeps going and going. And here's why. Because um, here's why they're, they're just, ugh, I don't, this is why the Pharisees have their uh, panties in a bind. I can't. I just said panties in church. <laughs> we don't know what's under the robes, do we? We really don't. So um, we'll just say, figurative, figuratively speaking, sorry about that. Here's why they're so torqued. Because Christ's message says, and Christ himself says this, it doesn't matter what you put in your mouth. Some foods were deemed unclean. You don't even touch those to prepare them, let alone put them in your mouth and eat them. And Christ says, it matters to me what comes out of your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth shows me what's in your heart. Wow. Not only is that an amazingly powerful statement, but it really, really starts to tick off the Pharisees because they're out of a job pretty soon. So, Let's move on to that verse 24 where it says they were puzzled. Here's why they were puzzled. The Sadducees especially left no room in their belief system for a spiritual world other than God, Jehovah God himself. There was no angels and there were no spirits. So they're totally scratching their heads and because they don't even, they can't even bring themselves to believe that someone would just be able, an angel would just be able to let them out with no physical evidence of them being gone. Okay, so they didn't have anybody there. No physical evidence that Uncle Jesse came in his four, four, four by four truck, threw him a chain, wrap it around the window, Duke boys, we're going to get out of here, right? 
I'm telling my age, aren't I? Dukes of Hazard, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, some of you can relate. Okay, so here's what happens. They, they don't understand, they're puzzled, and then this happens. Someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Now, just previously, pause, previously, they were arrested, meaning laid hands on. Now they get there, and there are lots more people, and they get a little intimidated because they think, well, if I take them by the arm forcefully, I could be stoned here. We could be stoned because we're definitely outnumbered. How in the world do you take somebody... How do you take somebody without grabbing their arm? Um, I've watched cops. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna, right? Everybody, yeah, what you gonna do? I've watched cops and I've never seen an episode where they come up to a perp and say, excuse me, could you come with us? We just want you to get in the car over here and just please watch your head on the way in. And here's a nice snack for your trip on the way. We've ne- I've never seen them. So here's, here's the dilemma that these people have. How in the world do we get them? We're just going to have to ask. We're going to have to ask. So they walk up and they ask politely, could you please come with us? You know, we put you in jail for a reason. We were going to bring you before the Sanhedrin to have this trial thing about, remember we told you not to speak at his name, that whole thing? Yeah, come with us. I love the apostles' reaction. Let's not miss that. They go. They go. They just walk and say, okay, that's cool. They are ready to accept the consequences for whatever may come of their disobeying the law, and they come. I think Christ is going, way to go. I think he's proud of them again. I think he's patting them on the back, and here's why. Even Peter himself, Peter's kind of the leader of this group, the apostles, and Peter himself was in the garden with Jesus when Jesus was arrested to be taken to trial before his crucifixion. So Jesus goes to pray privately and brings just a few select people with him. Peter, one of them. And when the, the, the guards come to arrest Jesus, Peter draws a sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the people who came to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, put the sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. This is not my kingdom. This is not how it goes. This is a kingdom of peace, not of violence. And I think Jesus is like proud and looking down from heaven, just so proud of Peter because Peter learned his lesson and did not go with uh, using force and trying his best to, to rally these people to stone them. He just said, okay, let's go. And here's what happened. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin. This is verse 27 to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, in this name, he said, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Here's what Peter said and the other apostles. I love this, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. There's a lot in that statement. Look, look, you can, you can take me away. I, I know I broke your law. I know you told me not to speak in his name, and I did. But I've got to obey God. Given the choice here, now, I, I walked, I, I obeyed the speed limit on the way there. That was your law. I didn't walk too fast, right? There are some laws that they're under that they're obeying. But when Jesus, when God says to them directly, do this, they choose to obey God and not man and suffer the consequences, whatever those might be. 
Now, here's what Peter says to them in front of them. Oh, I love this. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Okay, verse 30, just twisting it in their sides. And here's why. He says, the God of our fathers. Peter's saying, I'm not making something up here. I'm not making my own religion. We're not just making this up out of the blue. Oh, let's, let's call him Jesus. And then uh, where do you want him born? In a manger? Okay, in a manger? Yeah, we'll have him born in a manger. And then what? Then what? Um, he'll, he'll heal people? Yeah, healing is awesome. They're not writing this stuff down like they're making it up. And they're not saying that he's come from some other God. He's, they're saying the God of our fathers, that is, the, the heroes of the, the Jewish faith, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, right down the line, David, all these, the same God that you claim to serve is the same God that we're saying is of this message, this gospel message that sent Jesus. So, oh man, they're in for it. They are just like twisting it in their side. They take an opportunity with a captive audience to, to teach the same teaching that they're teaching about Jesus and how he was raised from the dead and how he is lifted to be at the right hand of God. All those things. I love that. They, they keep going. Now, here's what grabbed my attention. And, and my wife, Erica, when we were reading this together and talking about this, this jumped out to both of us, this verse. Verse 32. The Holy Spirit, who's witnesses to these things, whom God has given to those who obey him. Can, can, that, can that be true? We, we talk about the Holy Spirit and he's, he's, he's his own, he's God, yet he's this other entity who's with us, who Jesus sent when he left. And we talk about the Holy Spirit and, and we talk about it as if it's a signing bonus sometimes. Like, I became a Christian, I believed in Jesus, where's my Holy Spirit? Bring it on, right? It's like an athlete who signs and then a $12 million signing bonus. What? Really? Where'd that come from? We, we kind of expect that. I, I believe in Jesus. Now, where's my signing bonus? Where's my Holy Spirit to guide me and follow me around? And, you know, that kind of thing. This jumps out at me because it says God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. We have to come back to verse 32, and we're going to do that in just a second. But I want to read on. I want to just kind of leave you hanging there and then come back. When they heard this, this is the Sanhedrin. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Wow. That is, that's some verse. That's some statement. So why does Gamaliel get to make this statement? Because Gamaliel is the Pharisee of all Pharisees. I mean, he's the top-notch Pharisee. Um, a rabbi, a Pharisees are rabbis, and a rabbi means my teacher. 
So if you are a rabbi, you have a group of people who follow your interpretation of the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Scripture. If you are a rabbinai, a rabbinai, a rabbinai means our teacher. So if you're a rabbinai, now you've got people's attention because it's not just this small select group. When you speak, all of Israel listens. Everyone listens to you because you know your stuff and you kind of trump what somebody else might say. They're not always out there just to do that, but all of Israel listens. So when somebody says, of, of his stature, when someone says, let's, let's take a proposal on this. This is my proposal. Then people listen, and here's what his proposal. Let's just, let's just wait and see. Kind of a wait and see, hands-off approach. Because if you recall, these other schmucks, you know, got some people together and were like, yeah, um, I'm God's son. Woo! Come follow me. We're gonna, this is going to be awesome. And people gathered around them, and just a little while later, they all dispersed. Why? Because their leader died whether they, you know, the Romans had him killed or how, they, he died, and that was the end of story. They dispersed. Some of them even had a Messiah complex. We see that today. I mean, we've seen that throughout our history. We see people with Messiah complexes gather some people, and it always ends in tragedy. Um, here's the thing. When Gamaliel says this, this wait and see, they had already killed Christ. They had already killed the leader. The leader of the pack was dead. Two months later now, we're seeing the the numbers grow, but Gamaliel says, okay, it's growing now. It's going to do this, but let's just see if it does this. Now, Gamaliel said some amazing things. Leave these men alone. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. If it is of God, you will not be able to stop them. That's a powerful statement. Did God use Gamaliel? Absolutely. Was Gamaliel a Christ follower? Mm, Doesn't appear. Was he curious about them? Was he, was he kind of, you know, starting to side with them? We don't know for sure. But here's what I know. I, I, I think God uses whoever he wants to, to accomplish his will. I think you see it even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, a lot, and in, in the New here, that God's going to use who God is going to use to accomplish his will. And I think he used Gamaliel. I'm not sure where Gamaliel was, if he was on the fence, one of those guys on the fence. But I want to ask a question to you today about this statement. Can we measure everything by the statement, it is a, if it's of God, it will not fail? Careful. Be real careful. Here's why. There's some things in life that just do not look like they're going to fail. They're not necessarily good things. There's an industry. I'm PG-13 here today. There's an, so I'll say this. There's an industry that rhymes with corn. Okay? Got that in your head? I mean, don't put that in your head like the images. I mean, the concept. Don't put corn in your head. Um, Or, you know what I mean. So, there's an industry that doesn't look like it's going to stop. To our human eyes, it looks like it's going to keep going. Even though the economic crunch is going on, it's going to keep going. There's this possibility that... Corn will grow until Jesus comes back, right? I don't mean corn, but the industry that rhymes with corn, right? Corn can grow all, it's want, all it wants. I think that's God's will, yep, except for the high fructose corn syrup. You're out there, I know. Um, so, so here's the thing. I think we have to be careful when we measure it, and I really propose that we do this. We jump back to verse 32 when we weigh this out. 
Verse 32 says, I will give the Holy Spirit to those who obey me. And if we obey God, we will have the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, to guide us. I'm pretty sure that the corn industry is not seeking the Holy Spirit's advice and obeying God. But if we can measure this, let's just let's just do this. Let's just do this for today. Let's scoop up contextually what Gamaliel was talking about, and then let's bring it over here to 2009, and let's drop it right here in 2009. Gamaliel was talking about the gospel message. If this message is true, you will not be able to stop it. And guess what? Here we are. Let's celebrate this fact. Here we are, over 2,000 years later, and I get to teach in a public place from this Bible without persecution. There's people today who are being persecuted and arrested and thrown in jail, but they're speaking it anyway. They have the Bible in their own language. The gospel message lives today. Isn't that, that is so encouraging to me because I know at the end of time when Jesus comes back and he will, his word, his gospel message is the only thing that is going to last for eternity. So we get to experience now and we get to experience it for eternity because Gamaliel's words were true, okay? Now, Here's what happened. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles, verse 40, in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. A flogging was basically this, 39, I believe, yeah, 39 lashes front and back with a tool, a whip that was about, the handle was about that long. The tails were a little bit longer. And 39 whips as hard as you could with one hand for each apostle, for each one, 39 and it was likely that that type of flogging was called a scourge. And that's a fun word. Skink. We learned skink today. Take that home. Put it in your pocket. And scourge. Scourge. That's a fun word. Scourge. And if they sang a song that was really sad while they got scourged. Anyone? A scourge dirge. Oh. Sorry. Couldn't help myself. Scourge dirge. Those two words, if they hit you this week, enjoy them. You're welcome. Scourge dirge. So they got a scourging, and here's, here's their reaction. Oh my goodness, the apostles, 41, left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They got flogged 39 times, beaten, bruised, and bloody, and they're high-fiving each other. Awesome, that was sweet. Fist bump, chest bump, ha ah. Ah, shouldn't have done that one. Should have thought of that one before I... Why in the world? Do you understand that I read this with amazement this morning? I read this with absolute awe that they're not celebrating that they lived another day. They're not celebrating that they were released and not killed. They are celebrating because they were, they were counted worthy. Here's what, the, here's what I think was going on. They remembered. They were with Christ. And he says this in Luke. Jesus' words. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Isn't that awesome? I think they remembered Christ's word. I want you to be careful on this. Because some of you are like, I want Jesus to be proud of me. So you're going to go out and buy a bullhorn at Target this afternoon. And you're going to go out on the streets and you're going to go, are you right there in the polka dot shirt? Yeah, uh uh-huh. 
God hates your shirt, and you're going to go to hell. Did you know that? Uh Uh-huh. And you're you're yelling, you're screaming. Someone pours hot coffee on you, and you go, Amen, Lord, thank you. I'm counted worthy. Oh, that burns. Oh, that's a good burn right there. Please, don't get me wrong. I am not promoting that. In fact, I don't really see that promoted, that way of witnessing promoted in here. I see a a God who loves. I see people in need of the gospel just like we have today. And I'm not promoting that method of witnessing. But I want you to know that if you are a Christian and you get made fun of at school, if you are a, a person who's obeying the Holy Spirit and through that you say, you know what? I really think I need to say something to this person about their situation. I want to be there for them. And they reject you. Don't hang your head this morning. Do not hang your head and say, God, what's up with that? I thought that you were telling me to speak to that person. Just because someone rejects the gospel does not mean that you weren't invited by the Holy Spirit to share it with them. And then you acted on that. Do what the apostles did and rejoice in that, that you are counted worthy to bear his name. I want you to to, to focus this back to 32 with me. Verse 32, why were the apostles so bold? The apostles are so bold and willing to take whatever punishment might come through sharing the gospel. Why? Here's what I think. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had the Holy Spirit with them. That the Holy Spirit himself was guiding them every day and every moment. Now, let's ask why they had that confidence. That's the next logical question. How? I want to know that. That would be a great secret for me to know. Why did they know they had the Holy Spirit with them? Because they were in daily obedience to God. And they remembered Christ saying this in John. Again, Christ's words himself. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. If you love me, Jesus says, obey my commands. And what will I do? I will give you one. His name is the Holy Spirit. He will lead you into all truth. So this morning, I I have a question for you. Do you lack boldness and courage in your faith? Obey God. Obey God. I want to tell you about these three lovely, lovely ladies that are in my life. They're my daughters. I have three of them, three girls. And they're beautiful. If you've seen them, you know. (laughs) You know they're beautiful. They're beautiful and precious to me, and I love them. And because I'm their dad, I ask them to do things. I ask them to do things around the house. I ask them to come to the table when it's dinner time. I ask them, I ask them, I ask them. And here's what happens. (laughs) I want them to obey me want them to, but they don't always obey me. And when I say to them that I want them to clean their room, it has purpose. I'm not asking my kids to do stupid, pointless things. I'm not asking my, I'm not pouring a cup of water, putting it on Lydia's head and say, now Lydia, walk up and down the the stairs 10 times. You know, and, and out of fear or whatever, for whatever reason, scratching your head the whole time, why am I doing this? I don't ask my kids to do stupid, meaningless tasks. When I ask my kids to clean their room, I want them to understand that everything we have is a gift from God. 
every toy that they have is a gift. And because we want to honor God with the things he has so privileged us with, we want to take care of those things. So we clean our room. I don't ask my kids to clean their room to get out of my face so I can see the TV. I don't ask my kids to brush their teeth so they can just leave me alone for a few minutes. I ask them to brush their teeth so that they'll live healthy lives because why? I care so much about my girls. I love them so much. Now, I want you to understand this, too. I have a middle child. Ah, Sophie. I love my Sophie. Love my Sophie. And here's my Sophie. Sophie, go to the bathroom. We got to go on our trip now. Okay, so go to the bathroom right now. Okay. Oh, the bathroom's that way. Right? And she goes the opposite way. Five minutes later, she's playing with her pollies or something on the floor. And I say, Sophie, did you go to the bathroom? And she looks at me like, no. Sophie, I asked you to go to the bathroom. Oh, and she looks up at me with these big brown eyes. I'm sorry, Dad. I, I didn't hear you. <laughs> or I'm like, weren't we in the same room five seconds ago? Or, or she says, I didn't hear you. Or she says, um, or, or, or I got distracted. You, you see, th- this is us. This is us. We're so busy in our lives and God's telling us what he'd want us to do so that we can obey him because he knows what's best for us and we get distracted by our lives. And I'm not saying that's sin. Please hear me this morning. That is not sin. But on the other side of that is, is what I've done in my life. I stand guilty before you to know that I've heard God's word to say something in my life, the Holy Spirit guiding me in something, and I've said, no, don't think so. More often in my life, I've known that God does not want me to do something, and I do it anyway. Folks, that is missing the mark. That's sin, because we know what we're to do, and we don't do it. I want to tell you this morning that you might be telling me this morning, Joel, I I get it, that's cool, but the apostles, they had an angel come down, look them in the eye and say, go to the temple and teach, 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 teach. And they were like, okay, cool, we know where to go to the temple and teach. And you're saying to me this morning, I don't have an angel floating down into my room in the morning and saying, good morning. Today, this is our agenda. First, there are eggs downstairs for breakfast. You'll eat those eggs, and then you'll drop the kids off at school. Now, after you drop the kids off at school, you'll be swinging by the bank. And when you swing by the bank, there'll be a, 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 a server there. Her, her name is, is Janine. I would like you to witness to her today. Then, right, you're saying, I don't have that. You see this? God has given us this for daily obedience in our life. God has given us his word for daily obedience in our life. And what do we do? We dial them up when we want to know what house to buy. We dial them up when we want to know whether we should move across the country for a job. We dial them up when we want to know what college courses to take. We dial them up, we dial them up, we dial them up when we have these big events in our lives and say, hey God, can you help me out with this? And God is saying... God is saying, every day, I want to guide you through your obedience to me. 
Some of us are so worried about where we're going to live and where we're going to go to college. And every day, we don't treat our spouses with the respect and love that God wants us to. And every day, we don't treat our parents with the respect that they deserve and that God commands of us. I'll add to that other one. We don't treat our spouses the way God wants us to. And some of us, some people in this room don't treat our ex-spouses how God would want us to. There's a daily obedience that can happen. And through that, we can be guided by the Holy Spirit. There are some denominations that will tell you, you get baptized, you got the Holy Spirit. Congratulations. Now, is baptism obedience? Yes. So that would lead us to obeying and receiving the Holy Spirit? Yes, I get that. But we don't baptize, shake hands with God, say, thanks a lot, that was awesome, thanks for your Holy Spirit, thanks for your blessing, thanks for dying for me, I'll see you later. Over here, you might have a denomination that might say, if you speak in tongues, you will receive the Holy Spirit, let's go, let's do it, I know you can do this, come on, speak in tongues, come on, let it out, I want to buy a Honda, let's go, let it out, all right? <laughs> and boom, you've got the Holy Spirit. And, and here I'm reading that Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Let's pray. God, um, I need your Holy Spirit in my life. I do. And I want to admit this morning that I have not always followed your will and your way. There are many times I've walked straight away, headed the other direction. This morning, I want to obey you because I want to show you that I love you. So even this week, God, I pray that you would help me daily to know how to obey you so that you can guide me and I can spread your gospel message to a world that needs it. We love you and thank you for your word in your name. Amen.